This is the podcast for the journal Genetics and Medicine, published by Springer Nature. It's the official journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics. I'm Cynthia Graber. It's fairly common that patients who are thought to have a genetic condition might, upon genetic or genomic analysis, be found to have a variant of unknown significance, or VUS. And according to recent research published in the journal Genetics and Medicine, there's a new tool that might help sort out the impact of such variants by identifying the signals of DNA methylation. Bekim Sadikovich is director of the Clinical Genome Center and head of the Molecular Diagnostics Program at Western University in Canada. DNA methylation is what's referred to as an epigenetic mechanism. Epigenetic means above or beyond genetics. Uh, It essentially is a set of uh, chemical signals that are on top of DNA that essentially allow us to express that DNA. Uh, They regulate how certain genes are turned on and off. Uh, They regulate how certain tissues are physiologically distinct from other tissues. This is an area of study that's been around for the last few decades. What hasn't been known uh, up until some of our early discoveries is that epigenetic profiles can be distinct uh, and they can be a result of the underpinning genetic defects. This discovery that Dr. Sadikovich and his colleagues made a few years ago, that patients with certain genetic conditions also have a distinct DNA methylation profile in their blood, allowed them to think this could potentially be a diagnostic tool. The researchers created an EpiSign diagnostic laboratory network across Europe, the U.S., and Canada, and they mapped these methylation profiles across thousands of patients. So thus far, we've mapped uh, close to 65 different genetic conditions along with about 85 associated genes where we have very distinct and highly sensitive and specific epi-signatures as biomarkers. In their most recent study, they published the first clinical implementation and validation of EpiSign. They tested 207 subjects for whom a genetic test had not been conclusive. Either the analysis returned VUSs, or the patient had physiological symptoms consistent with particular syndromes, but no genetic link was found. So we split the the data analysis into two cohorts, and we found that uh, Approximately 40% of patients that had had variants of unknown clinical significance a priori had been able to be reclassified to likely pathogenic. In other words, those VUSs were no longer VUSs as a result of this test. They were uh, likely pathogenic variants, and that provided ultimately their genetic diagnosis. The remaining ones did not have DNA methylation profiles consistent with those particular genetic conditions and signatures that we currently have mapped. The other group of patients were, a priori, we did not know um, of any specific genetic findings. Rather, these are the patients that had, you know, physiological features consistent with some of these conditions. Uh, We had about 11% of the patients that were tested that had had uh, the epi signature that was consistent with the diagnosis. In subsets of these patients, the patients would then go on to get targeted uh, genetic analysis that had con- confirmed their findings. And for some of these patients, even after identifying an epi sign, the researchers still couldn't find the related genetic variant. And that tells us, you know, one of two things. One is that those patients uh, may actually carry variants that are currently not detectable by standard sequencing techniques. Uh, You know, for example, they may have variants that are in deep intronic regions that are not being sequenced or, you know, five prime UTRs outside of the gene that may influence the gene that we currently, with standard genetic sequencing technologies, are not able to discern. As a matter of fact, uh, we found, uh, you know, and we published in a few cases exactly like that when we've gone on and done um, deeper dives, if you will, into these regions of genes that are not classically 
uh, assessed in a clinical setting, we could find variants that ultimately disrupted the gene after we'd identified these epi signatures. And then the alternate possibility is that these patients may actually have DNA methylation signatures that know nearby variants that cause them that may tell something about a possibility that these genes are being disrupted through trans events, uh, through uh, events somewhere else in the genome or through regulatory elements. These questions lead into yet more research for the group, including what these findings mean for diagnosing patients and the need to do even more clinical studies on larger groups of patients to find the appropriate signatures that can be used for diagnosis. That said, there are significant challenges. There are some genes for which they haven't been able to find the epi-sign, and some for which they weren't able to find one in the past, but as the database grew, they were in fact able to find one. Early on, the team focused on one particular family of conditions, chromatinopathies, and they've been expanding that. But the conditions they're studying are rare disorders, which means that as the network grows, they'll be more likely to find such signatures. And finally, they also have to take into account other potential impacts on DNA methylation, such as aging or environmental exposures. Still, they already see this as a particularly useful diagnostic tool. So what we've done is we've taken what we have understood and developed in research for which we had high level of confidence of clinical applicability. So these are signatures that are robust, uh, that allow us to very sensitively reclassify variants of unknown clinical significance and uh, screen for these conditions. So those were the ones that met those set of criteria where we felt confident that we had the ability to actually use them for specific clinical applications. And uh, this paper actually describes the first clinical use of this technology uh, ever. So this is as far as we see it, uh, ready for clinical use, and it's already being adopted, as I mentioned, both in U.S. and Europe, and uh, we're going to be making some announcements about the expansions of, uh, of this clinical network uh, that uses this technology uh, um, in a collaboration with our lab here. So we, we think it's clinically ready. We certainly have adopted it for clinical use. There are many findings that are kind of uh, coming that we feel strongly are going to be useful clinically, but in the future. They're kind of in the development stages. So it is technology that's being used clinically, and certainly we're expecting that's going to expand in the coming years. But uh, uh, the, the biggest challenge right now is that we are simply just starting to understand and discover these things, and uh, uh, there's still a lot more, lot more work to be done. Genetics and Medicine is the official journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics and is published by Springer Nature. I'm Cynthia Graber. 